Hey, it's Bea. Thanks so much for tuning in to A Twist of Fate. I'm excited to have you join me for another special conversation about life's ups and downs and what we take away from them. If you are new to this podcast, please consider subscribing to get notified when new episodes are released. Now, on to the episode. Mike is the father to a beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old girl, Celia. In October of 2022, he and his wife at the time decided to get a divorce. Shortly after, he packed his bags and moved out. He now has shared custody of Celia and spends half his week as a full-time parent and half the time learning how to be single again. In this episode, we talk about the challenges of divorce, single parenting, its impact on mental health, and learning how to navigate life in what is now your new normal. This is Mike's story. Hi there, Mike. It's great to have you on my podcast. Hey, Bea. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's been a minute since we like fully caught up. So I appreciate you, you know, carving out the time and being open to chat about some pretty vulnerable things here. So I wanted to say I appreciate you. Yeah, and I appreciate you having me. I think it's 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 a heady topic, but I think it's an important topic and it's something that a lot of people struggle with. They might not have been divorced necessarily, but relationship struggles are a real thing and pretty common. Mm-hmm. And just the opportunity to talk through that I think is important. Absolutely. So let's dive in here. Wanted to start off by asking you if you could give us some background context. I know you and your family have gone through a pretty big change over the last six months to a year. So could you give us some context around that? Yeah, it's been been a crazy year, particularly the past six months, but I would say even probably closer to 12, really, when I think about it. And yeah, my my now ex-wife and I, so we have a young daughter, an incredible little girl. She's two and a half, almost three. (laughs) And we face challenges. We face challenges in our relationship. And those really started to bubble up, I would say, last summer, around July, August. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we attempted couples therapy, we attempted to you know, fix the relationship, but it was one of those things where I feel like we maybe had a little bit of a lack of communication and, and things that maybe built up over time that we didn't fully understand had built up over time. So we pretty quickly went from addressing some of the issues that we had within our relationship, working through some of those uh, through various methods that I'm happy to talk through later. But then that quickly turned into us agreeing to, to split. To, to get divorced yeah. around last October. So for the past six months, it's really been about adjusting both individually, but also as a family, because we are still a family, even if things have changed a little bit, but adjusting to what life is like for us as individuals, as well as how we continue to support our daughter. So October, that was really when we agreed to go through this, uh, this process. December, I moved out, so started kind of moving my life to a separate home, a new neighborhood, new people to meet, and new routines to get used to. And then officially, literally as of just, I think, two weeks ago, we officially got uh, divorced. So it's been big change. Oh, wow. and Yeah, yeah, so very soon. And so Gosh. a big change in, in a pretty short period of time. And then also when you when you add in, again, the family element of things, taking care of a, a young child and making sure that uh, she... She manages this process as effectively as she possibly can, but also being still you know, an employee, a coworker, and, and a friend to people. And how do I still manage those relationships as well? Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's a big milestone. I didn't realize it happened two weeks ago. Remind me, how old's your daughter? She's two and a half. 
Two and a half. Okay. You know, at that age, like trying to grok and understand everything that's going on around you, like all the changes, I'm sure that that's something that you're really trying to navigate at this time, how to communicate that. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff. So glad to see you're hanging in there. Um, yeah. If, if you think about it from, from my daughter's perspective versus my perspective, I'm a 35 year old who can't fully always wrap his head around that and manage also where your brain's going to take certain situations mm -hmm. and try to cope with certain situations. So when you think of for a toddler and how she's just learning what the world is, it's, yeah. it's, it's in some ways even more challenging for her. So it's, it's been a process. It's been a learning journey. Yeah, I know. And so you mentioned you moved out, you now live separately starting, I think you said in December and you're both in the Boston region, right? And how far away do you live? I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more about what this new normal now looks like for you in terms of scheduling, you know, like spending time with your daughter versus spending time apart. Like, could you share a little bit more with that about your new situation? Yeah. So I think the, the benefits of a good co-parenting relationship and trying to manage a, the divorce process as amicably as you possibly can, as civilly as you possibly can, is that makes it a little bit easier to coordinate living arrangements and make sure that we're putting our daughter first in every every possible situation. There have definitely been bumps down the road. I haven't been my best in, in, in many, many instances. And that's always a learning journey. But when I think of sort of the overall picture into our relationship, that's that's been a big piece of it is just being good co-parents and putting that, that piece first. So when I think through our, our living relationships of so Boston, greatest city in the world, I'm just going to say <laughs> that. Uh, a, little, a little biased, but so we used to live together in a, a little neighborhood called Jamaica Plain. And then when I moved out, I moved to a neighborhood called Roslindale. For, uh, for anyone to know, it's really just that there, there are two neighborhoods right next to one another. And okay. the great thing about that is we are about maybe a 10, 15 minute drive from one another at most. So we think of handoff of our daughter between mm -hmm. our respective homes. It's a pretty easy process really simple. Mm. And then we also think through the other consideration that we had was our daughter goes to daycare in Brookline, which is a town just just one one over from Boston, was also making sure that we were close to her daycare. So mm. we are 10 to 15 minutes apart from one another for driving distance. And then also to Brookline, it is anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes on a particularly bad traffic day to, to mm. get to daycare. So all, for all intents and purposes, though, it was really about making sure it was as seamless as possible and that we made as few adjustments as possible from a commute perspective so that we both were comfortable continuing our routines, continuing to get uh, Celia to daycare on time, and also at the same time, not creating opportunities for disruption where maybe I'm stuck in traffic that I didn't anticipate and I can't get to her on time. So I have to create chaos by asking my ex-wife <laughs> to get her and things like that. So that, that's been really great. We're, we're really close to one another. As to your question around the schedule, so we we went back and forth on the custody schedule a lot. We, there's, there's a lot of resources online that will give you different different scenarios and different ways that you can take care of your, your mm -hmm. child and, and hand off your child, for lack of a better term. But what mm -hmm. we landed on, at least initially, was, first of all, it's got to be 50-50. We want to make sure that we have equal time with our daughter mm -hmm. because it's just important to us. It's important to her. And so from there, it came down to, okay, what's a schedule that allows us to see our daughter and not not overtax ourselves emotionally by having her maybe for too long because she is a toddler. That's a lot. It's a lot from a 
the perspective of as a working parent and managing those responsibilities, but then also just the day and night, it becomes exhausting when you're the sole provider, sole caretaker for a toddler. So how do we balance the consideration of wanting to see our daughter, but also take care of ourselves? And so what we landed on was a two, two, three weekly schedule. Basically what that means is two days on the front end of the week. So Monday, Tuesday, someone has her, switches over to Wednesday, Thursday, and then someone gets her Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that way it rotates so that each of us has a weekend free for ourselves every other weekend. And we also get to see her for a good period of time, particularly valuable for when we think of seeing the grandparents. Oh, okay. Okay. That's really nice. I I would imagine there's a ton of resources out there that covers like all different kinds of scenarios. But I, I love that you thought first to yourself, you know, what are you optimizing for? What's important to you both? And the, I like the note around also creating space to take care of yourself too, because yeah, it's tough when you're solo parenting for strong, long stretches of time. So thanks so much for sharing that. I guess like, you know, I will share this topic in particular is really close to my heart in a different way. It's it's quite personal because, you know, my parents broke up when I was younger. It was definitely not two and a half. I was nine. But it brings me back to when I would um, have to spend weekends at my dad's place. And in the Philippines, traffic is like absolutely horrendous. And it would take sometimes an hour back and forth, uh, shuttling me between my dad and my mom. And so, and then when he moved to the States, like me spending every summer in California to, to see him. So all I can say is as long as you're doing your best and trying to make it as seamless as possible for your child, that's really the best that you can do because yeah, you just, you have to adjust and bend to where life takes you. So I just wanted to kind of share some of that. You touched earlier on how things can feel really exhausting and, you know, you're adjusting to half of the time being full on to parent mode where that can be really draining sometimes. And then half of the week you're trying to adjust to this new life of being, you know, being single and living by yourself. And so can you share like if there's any support that has been particularly helpful as you're navigating the world of single parenting, the world of, you know, also working and, and trying to balance your professional life with, you know, your home life. Can, is there anything in particular that has stood out as something that's been helpful? Yeah, a family is easily number one, particularly when we think through the chaos that can come w- when you are the the single parent and things happen like my daughter gets sick, like every toddler does. And she'll have to stay home from school and I have no other options. Like, who who am I going to go to to watch my kid while also trying to manage being an employee? I don't want to be moving all my calls around every time something happens. It's just, it's not feasible. It's not fair to, to my coworkers. It's not fair to my clients. Now, of course... Everybody always gives me a ton of grace when I need to move things around and and I appreciate that, but I want to accommodate them as much as I possibly can. So what really has been helpful is family, not just, not just from taking care of Celia when I need that, that help, but also in just being there to help me mentally manage the vast amount of change that, that my brain is going through every couple of days, to be completely honest, because again, going from being a father for a couple of days and being in full-on dad modes. I'm watching Disney movies. I'm introducing <laughs> my daughter to musicals. By the way, she loves La La Land. That's been a huge hit. Oh, La La Land's a good weeks. one. 
Yeah. yeah. She absolutely loves it. She loves singing the songs as much as she possibly can. So love mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm, I'm in Disney movie mode. I'm in musical mode. And I'm also, of course, making a ton of pasta and making food and just keeping her happy, playing with her. <laughs> we do everything from, we have like our fake kitchen and she cooks me food and like all that stuff. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, that, I'm in that mode. I'm in like dad mode full on. The morning, I've got responsibilities. Then I have work. Yeah. Then I got to go pick up my daughter and I'm, I'm in full on dad mode. Yeah. But then when I switch over, my brain switches all of a sudden to, let's say Wednesday, Thursday, I become single guy mode, for lack of a better term. Then it's about managing, like, first of all, it, it can be incredibly lonely to be in a house by yourself, particularly like I'm, I'm fortunate enough that this is a pretty decently sized home within Boston. So it's it's fantastic in that respect, but it also can be incredibly isolating when mm-hmm. I don't have my daughter around who's chasing me around the house and keeping me busy and showing a lot of love. Like all of a sudden you have this huge emotional void that takes place. Mm-hmm. And the people that have been so incredibly helpful during all that are my family, just checking in with me, even just like little texts here and there just to make sure I'm doing all right. That's easily number one. So supporting me logistically and selfishly so that I can kind of continue to keep my life as normal as it possibly can be, while also doing really what family does well in in, in many cases, which is filling yeah. that emotional void and helping to balance things out. I would also say, similarly, it would be, it would be friends. Friends are fantastic for that. I, I did a really poor job when I was in a relationship, and this is not on my ex-wife, this is on me, because I tend to overly invest myself in emotional relationships, particularly romantic relationships, and then neglect my friendships. So I had a lot of friends who were still my friends, but I wasn't checking in on them. They weren't checking in on me. We're seeing each other maybe every three to six months, maybe longer than that in some cases. Okay. And so when I went through this incredibly tough time, particularly at the beginning, and I was just in a deep depression, I wasn't fully sure that I'd be able to connect back with my friends and that they would be open to it. But thankfully, because they're good people, because I've known them for so long, and we do still have that bond that's been built over time, without hesitation, they stepped in and they were willing to just be there for me. Again, selfishly fill that emotional void for me. So that's been something that is really helpful as well, family. It's like like an extension of your family is is friends. Yeah. Yeah. It is great to hear too that like sometimes the the truest friendships are the ones where you can leave them and and sort of like just trust that it's still going to be there for you when you need it the most right and i i feel similarly about some of my friendships like i have a lot of my closest friends and family in the philippines but it's like i know that no matter the distance and no matter how long it's been like if something bad happened to me like they would always have my back so i'm glad that they came through for you during this particular phase of your life you mentioned a little bit about your like its impact on your mental health you know maybe going through at least at the start going through a little like maybe some mild depression having to work through some things with the aftershock of what happened I know you also shared with me separately that um, something that's also that's been helpful for you during this time to help with your mental health is therapy so could you share a little bit more about you know how that's going and any useful nuggets since I know therapy and just taking care of your mental health is such a big topic these days. People really struggle with mental health issues. And you, for one, have been such a vocal proponent of therapy and just any sort of aids that you can find to, to really take care of yourself in that way, especially at a place like LinkedIn. So I just want to hear a little bit more from what you had to share there. 
Yeah, therapy is invaluable. It's one of those things where, particularly at the beginning, to your point around depression, experience it was, it was pretty significant for about a week. I felt just completely in the depths. And one thing with with depression is it feels in the moment like there's just no getting out of it. Like this is it. <laughs> this is it. Like this is my life now. It's just going to feel absolutely miserable and terrible. And I think I took probably at least a day to try to cope with that myself. But one thing that I've learned, and I was doing therapy well before this all was taking place. And one thing that I've learned throughout my life and through going to therapy was you can't do it alone. It's just impossible. Yeah. If you try to manage your feelings and emotions using the brain that is not fully itself or, or, or at its best self, mm -hmm. there's just no way you can process effectively. And so, yeah, for, for me, therapy in that moment, and I'll talk broadly, in that moment was incredibly valuable because I just needed a professional to talk to who could really understand, like, if I go a little bit deeper, not just talk about the problems that I'm facing from a relationship perspective with my friends, which baseline is really helpful. That's helpful for just kind of getting some steam out a little bit, just, just, just talking friend to friend, but talking with a professional is a little bit different because they can really help you understand coping mechanisms, things that you need to improve upon, things that you can work on. And also they're going to be there to help keep you on track and keep you accountable. That was something that particularly in the, the few months after this all happened, really helped me to develop the tools that I needed to start improving my life, start taking the next steps that I needed to, to be a more healthy individual and be a better father and also be honestly a better partner in some way, shape or form to you know, my now ex-wife. And so therapy was incredibly valuable in that perspective. And when I also think about it, the therapy dynamic versus your friends dynamic, I, I just try to also remind myself that your friend is not your therapist. Like they're definitely yeah. there for you. And you can, particularly in those early days, I think it was really easy for me because I was like the I don't know, main attraction sounds really lame, but it was like when I was coming to like time with friends or we were getting together, it was very clear what the topic was going to be for the first like yeah. couple of weeks. Like they wanted to hear about everything that was going on in my life. And it, that was, that was the topic of conversation, honestly, mm -hmm. but that fades pretty quickly. If you keep coming back to your friends and use them as your personal therapists, well, you're being unfair to them and you're going to quickly lose them in, in my perspective. Yeah. And it's also not the most healthy mechanism because again, it's not, it's not making you work on you in a way that a professional understands. So that's therapy in that window. And then broadly, I'm a huge proponent of, of therapy because I initially wasn't a huge proponent of therapy, particularly before joining LinkedIn. I was very insensitive to the idea of mental health. And I, I used to basically just whittle it down to like, you just got to toughen up. That's all you got to do. Yeah. That, that's, that's how it works, right? You just flip a switch. A hundred percent. And that's like, I, I just want to um, chime in here in terms of like, how some of it is very much like the machismo culture and like this is how you're you're raised sometimes as a as a man to be like why why even talk about your feelings like just suck it up like it's not a big deal right and it is quite different i think growing up as a as a little girl being you know coddled in a, a little bit different of a way but yeah i can see why there is such a, a gap in male mental health in particular and the stigma of like it not being very helpful or, or it not being like cool or the right thing to do when you're going through something because you should just learn how to do it yourself. Like that's the right way to do it. So anyway. Yeah. And that was actually something that my therapist told me was specifically around trying to do it yourself. She told me you too often try to manage things yourself and that's not a healthy way of approaching things. She didn't say it exactly that way, but she helps me to work through like 
how do I leverage those support structures? That's sort of the the long term healthy or healthier play. But yeah, so the my relationship to therapy always was just you know it's just just work. You just you figure it out. You know, you flip a switch. It's I've always been a person who's very much like execute on the thing in front of me. What's what's the thing I have to get done now? Whether it's getting admitted to college, whether it's finding my first job, whether it's changing career paths. It was always just, here's the goal in front of me, let's execute on it. And so mm. similarly with mental health challenges, it was like, cool, so I just got to get better. What do I, what do I have to do to get better? That's it, you know? And and I feel like I'll, I'll say also outside of like being, you know, being a man and, and the approach of like kind of sucking it up, which is definitely yeah. something that particularly in like my school life, that was something that a lot of like, you know, insecure teenage boys kind of promote amongst one another is that mm-hmm. idea of just, we're all men, we're tough, we're good, we, we've got this. And we, I think we try to put that that facade out there. And I definitely absorbed that from my my, my teenage days as, as a kid in school. So that was something I faced a lot as a as a teenage boy was just this is this is how we figure it out. We're, we're tough. We're good. And there's nothing else to it. But the other point I would say within my life is also I've been fortunate enough to have a pretty normal, you know, quote unquote, normal or fairly stress free life. You know, I grew up in a, a really great upper middle class family within within Boston, went to a really fantastic public schools, went to a great university. Mm. And I think that I didn't experience a lot of adversity or challenges in my life. Mm. And I think that made it feel like to me, I don't know if it was almost like ignorant to the challenges that exist within the outside world, mm-hmm. but there might've been a little bit of that as well as just this inability to, I haven't, I didn't have like the practice like at bats yeah. with, with, with just like issues that I really had to work through. So it was just, yes. just kind of, I don't want to say cruise through life, but something like that. And that, that was something that I think made me feel like everything's easy. Everything's good. And then when I faced real adversity, which was at LinkedIn, I suffered from severe panic attacks when I first joined LinkedIn. I don't think I was ready for the amount of like stimulation around me when I joined the company. That was something where I was like, oh, mental health is real. And I can't just figure this out. I can't just run into the bathroom for 10 minutes, collect my thoughts, take a deep breath and come back out. That's not working. I need to figure out what professional help I need. Yes. I can totally relate to some of what you shared around, like not really feeling like you had to deal with anything this hard. Like I almost see it as like a video game. I'm like, oh, all the first couple levels of this game were like, you can cruise through it. And then you kind of reach, you hit a point where you're like, oh, whoa, like I feel like I'm stuck here and I I don't know how I'm going to get through. So yeah, it's it's like different phases and and parts of the evolution in life too. You just, you need different things. So I, I, I can definitely relate to some of that. You know, going back to maybe feeling like this was one of the biggest challenges that you have had to face, you know, you talked about adversity and, and, and this really being one of those things that kind of hits you in the face. Like, what would you say is the most difficult part that you've had to deal with over the last couple of months? Like, I know you had already mentioned that struggling with mental health and adjusting to this, the, the new schedule, but is there... Anything else that comes to mind as you think about, you know, also like the future of, of you and your daughter, perhaps, or, or how you're thinking of, of those types of things? Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I'd say two things actually would be one is, is the every now and then the, I think the regret comes back mm. for me. And that puts me into kind of a deep hole where 
the, I think it's like regret of what, what did I not do and that I, that I should have done as a partner to potentially get ahead of this, to save this yeah. from better communication, to being more aware of things around me from not just kind of, I think becoming so laser focused on sort of like transactional activities in my life from, you know, I have to wait, I have to get my daughter to school, got to get her to bed, got to get work done. Also got to find time for myself and and my own, like my own entertainment and trying to fit all that stuff in and not really thinking through what should I have done as part of a parental unit, I think is something that I regret, but also it's like future regret as well of, of where we're not going to be as a family. I think that that always kind of breaks my heart a little bit. And that, just the idea of like, particularly when you see, like I just saw a post on Instagram before joining this of good friend of mine from many years ago who just posted about the fact that she's having her second child in a few months and the, just the beautiful family photos that she posted. And I looked at her Instagram and it's, it's, it's wonderful. And of course that only gives a small picture into somebody's life. But when I see yes. stuff like that and then to think through like, you know, we're going to manage this as, as co-parents, we're still going to do, we're going to do birthdays. We're going to do holidays. But it does kind of break my heart a little bit when I think through what could have been, you know, the house that we yeah. could have bought together in in Boston, the life that we could have had with our daughter as one unit. That's mm-hmm. that future regret that always comes back to me. And the reason why I mention that is because that becomes re- it, it just it puts me into a, a really big mental hole that's tough to get out of. Yes. And so that's something that's always on my mind. It kind of it pops up every now and then. And I, and I, I particularly have to find ways to get myself out of that spiral. So that's one. The second thing kind of contributes to that, which is how do I get out of that spiral? And therapies help me to manage this a little bit, but a big weakness of mine just really in life is I try to find really quick dopamine boosts, dop- dopamine rushes, ways to just mm-hmm. kind of like, things aren't feeling great. Well, there's gotta be a quick and easy solution to that. And so when I think through the areas that I struggle in, it can be binge eating. I've had issues with my weight for my, well, at least since college and how I've perceived myself, and then also my relationship to food and how I will binge eat just to feel comfort. But then the next day, I feel instant regret for the fact Mm -hmm. that I ate a whole Domino's pizza. Like, why did I eat a whole Domino's pizza to myself in like 45 minutes too? It's like, (laughs) again, trying to get that dopamine rush in, that's an area I've always struggled with. And so making sure to not not binge eat, not look for that quick fix that I know is not going to be, it's not going to help me outside of say that hour or two hour window. And the same thing goes with my relationship with, with alcohols that I've in the past had trouble moderating that activity. It's just Mm -hmm. looking for, again, that quick boost, that quick, really fun thing. And guess what? Having a few IPAs is a fantastic way to feel really good in the moment. Mm -hmm. But then you quickly realize, first of all, how am I consuming alcohol? Am I doing it alone? What benefit is that providing me? And trying to reflect a little bit on why I'm doing something because I know similar to food the next day, I'm not going to feel that great, particularly if I've, if I've overdone it. And so the, the approach for me with all that is how do I moderate that? And also how do I take particularly my sober mind and really think through what are the steps that I know actually help me, not just in this short window, but are going to help me the next day and the next day. And that kind of pile on and in a good way and really continually improve me. And that's where I focused a lot on therapy, of course, really talking it out, but also, it would be physical exercise because that improves my yeah. mental health as well. Those are the things that I try to do in lieu of the really harmful activities that, that I've taken in the past or used in the past. I love it. 
Thanks so much for sharing that. It, it just building better habits, I think just also comes with a lot of like mindset shifts, right? Like you had said earlier, I I go through a lot of this too, where I'm just like, okay, I had a really great week. Like I can keep this going, but it's tough, especially if you don't have the systems in place to be able to successfully like navigate through that, you kind of fall back to your old ways. So I'm glad that, you know, you're, you're able, you're at least like self-aware enough to kind of pull yourself back from this, from these like mental holes that you get yourself in. And then also working on, maybe some of the triggers that get you there in the first place. So that's great to hear. One other thing on that, on that front, Bea too, is like documenting either to yourself or I guess you can do both. Yeah. Like a little bit of like journaling or, or just documenting the situation when you are in that mental hole, when it's starting, documenting it for yourself, but also could potentially just be texting a friend or doing something that you know is like mm. going to have a third party be part of this and, and help to make you a little bit more aware of the moment, but also provide a different perspective is something that I've found really helpful. Love it. Yeah. Putting it on paper, you know, just that's, I, I, I've been trying to get into that and have it a little bit more as well. It just helps kind of clear your mind a little bit and maybe a good segue into something that I'd love to hear more about as we're starting to wrap up here, but you know, it sounds like you've been spending a lot of time also, you know, with an introspection. So with therapy, with journaling, with just like reflecting on some of the moments in your life, is there anything that you have learned about yourself from this experience that you care to share? Yeah. That I'm not Superman. Can't do it on my own. That's, that's the biggest, <laughs> honestly, it's the, it's the biggest lesson. It's just, you are not there. A problem like this, your mental health is not something that you can manage on your own and also managing big life change. This is not something that you can do on your own. You need other perspectives. You need somebody to help you, particularly in those really tough moments, get you out of your head for a little bit and give you a different perspective to consider. I think that's the biggest thing. And I would also say in those moments, particularly over the the first few months of, of all this, I definitely beat myself up a lot. You need to go through all the phases of grief. And one in particular is like the, is regret and, and just, wondering like what did I do wrong and 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 I think it's really easy to beat yourself up and just look at every single little thing you did wrong and turn it into like I am a garbage husband a garbage father and it's like and you can bring yourself down that hole yeah don't beat yourself up too much and make sure to also highlight in those moments like yeah those are areas of self-improvement but that's what they are areas of self-improvement but it's not it's, it's not this like forever thing about you. It's not something that defines you in such yeah. a negative light. So it's an area of self-improvement, but also make sure to highlight for yourself and give yourself the self-care that you deserve to identify the areas where you, you are you are strong, you are great and, and make mm. sure this is where friends come into play because they're gonna do a lot of that for you as well. Yeah, yeah, give yourself some grace. And I think you're pretty great, Mike. So if you ever need to hear it again or an affirmation here and there, like I got you. <laughs> Okay, well, wanted to end with one last question for you, which is if you could share one thing that you would like listeners to take away from hearing your story, what would that be? That depression is very real and can make you feel very, it make you feel like everything is hopeless in that moment and that everything is, is over or that, that nothing is ever going to improve ever again. I know that from firsthand experience and I still deal with it. So just know that it's a temporary state. If you, if you put some of that work in, you talk to people, you will get out of that situation 
and just make sure to always look look for help because depression is an absolute beast. So please take care of yourself and, and help let others take care of you as well. Thank you. Very important message. Okay, well, we'll end here. Thank you so much, Mike, for taking the time to chat with me today. And I'm excited to be able to share your story because it's so powerful. And I think a lot of people would really benefit from hearing it. Thank you, Bay. I really appreciate the time. All right. You're listening to A Twist of Fate. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.